0: I've always had this question. So I'm glad I get to ask it now. I've seen you take your clients to gorgeous places, yeah. like Bora Bora, yeah. being an example. But it's, that's not the first time you've mm. done an exotic location. Why do you think it's so important in your coaching to host retreats at such? I think you've re- recently done a deal with like Four Seasons or something mm. like that. So why is it so important, according to you?
1: Well, it's funny. When I first started my coaching business, my coach told me I wasn't ready to host events. And I was like, screw that. I'm going to move forward with my vision. And so I started hosting events at luxury locations. So the Ritz in London, and it was a big deal to sign a contract like that. And I had 13 people in a program and they all came and everyone kept telling me, "You know, I don't feel like I'm worthy of being in this room. I don't feel like I've ever been in a room like this. And so I started to see that even stepping into the room was a huge shift for them and just massive transformation because it showed them what was possible and it helped them shift something in their mind around what they could achieve for themselves and the type of room that they were born to be in. And even some of our programs, you know, we had people in the US and they would sign up for these programs and there were events in London and even just getting a passport for the first time, taking an international flight, like it was a huge deal. And they kept saying, you know, I have family members who have never traveled abroad. Like this is so outside of my comfort zone. And I just started to see that even just making that decision and getting on the plane and getting in the room was so transformational. And yes, the program and the curriculum and all of that was great. But being there and then being in person with other women who were doing big things, it was just a massive shift. And so, yeah, that was eight years ago. Now, obviously, we've raised the bar even more, but it's just the power of the in-person experience coupled with the luxury location and being in a next-level environment. It's just transformational.
0: So... I kind of thought that would be the reason, yeah. but, but I want to kind of elaborate that because I feel like so the first shift happens even when they sign up, in mm-hmm. a way.
1: Yeah. Like oh, the yeah. shift
0: has already happened because they go, oh, crap, this is the most exotic thing I've ever done for myself. Yeah. Let's just say that, way. maybe even the most expensive thing I've done for yeah. myself. Why do you think people find it so hard to invest in themselves that way?
1: I think, you know, I always say it's never about the money. And of course, we could say, you know, the money's not in the bank account, whatever, but you will create the money for the thing that you want. And so... Say that again.
0: That's, I think, super powerful what you just said.
1: It's never about the money. You will create the money for the thing that you really want. We see it in our lives all the time. Like how many people stretch themselves to pay for their kids' tuition or whatever it is. But then when it comes to us, all this fear comes up and this lack of being worthy. And so we hold ourselves back. And so it ultimately is about the fear, you know, and if someone is, if you get on a sales call with somebody, I always say, you know, it's not about the money. What is actually going on here? You're telling me you want to make a change. And yet in the next breath, you're saying, I don't have the money right? Are you really going to let that stop you? And most of the time it is some sort of doubt or fear. Can I follow through? Can I do it? Is it possible for me? What are people going to think? If I post this on Instagram, is it going to be too braggy? We even had a lot of ladies in our mastermind this year say, you know, they were nervous about posting in Bora Bora. And a couple of the women who are Black, they said, I've never, you know, even seen Black people in Bora Bora. And now me being like the poster person for this experience, that's a big deal. And so it's just so much deeper than just the trip or the event. And it just brings up all those mindset issues that people have to uncover and shift when they're looking to create new levels of success.
0: I want to explore, because it's beautiful what you said, and it really landed for me already, like three minutes into the conversation, is that you will create the money that you wanted. Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing you. In your experience, have you or do you have any individuals that have actually proven that to be true? Not your personal experience, like other people where they were like, you know what, I don't have the money. And I agree, I want to have the change. And then they somehow came up with the money.
1: Oh, yeah. Everyone
0: can you can you tell, yeah. tell one of yeah. those? Yeah. So
1: one of our recent clients, about two years ago, she invested in one of our programs to become a new coach and she had to use her savings. And then she wanted to invest in the next level program, which was a mastermind. In between the, that period of time, her business really started to take off and she was actually able to make the money. But as she kept investing, you know, she was spending more and more, but she wanted to go to the next level. And it actually turned out that her husband had applied for some sort of grant for $300,000. And they had been waiting for over a year to figure out if it was approved. And they were qualified after she had made that first decision you know to take the leap and to start her business and then she kept wanting to up level and so i remember she just emailed me and said oh my gosh like this is the investment we've been waiting for in my business and what if i had never even started you know and now she's doing 20k months just on evergreen she has this amazing masterclass that's up and bringing in consistent money i just wrapped, mapped out a 1.6 million dollar plan with her to do in the next year and a half and so I just think to myself, like, what if she had let the fear or the lack of money mm-hmm. <laughs> stop her from actually moving forward? She would never have, you know, predicted necessarily that she would get this $300,000 grant and, you know, everything would be taken care of. But so often we're allowing that money fear and the block to stop us from even making the decision.
0: That's so true. And I want to get a little bit more curious towards it because I feel like there's many other things that are working here. First is the shift of action, right? Like them saying, you know what, I'm going to just start a business. And then, and I don't know if you believe in that. So that's why I'm opening this dialogue even in this way is the energetic shift that happens because now suddenly you've said, hey, I'm going to do this. So a grant that may have been applied many months ago suddenly comes through. There's no logic to prove it. There's no logic that says, oh, that's why this happened. It's just energetics of saying, oh, you've opened yourself up to an investment And so the investment is going to find a way to you. Do you think there's any truth to that?
1: Oh, 100%. And I believe that our desires are really dropped in. And that's what I live by. And so if I have a desire to join a program or go on a trip... I know that because the desire's there, the money is also there. They go hand in hand for me. And so people just need to explore, okay, how could I source that? How could I find the funds? How could I pay for this thing? And when you actually start to get curious, that tells the universe, okay, I am serious about doing this. And like you said, the energy shifts. Whereas people who are like, oh, no, it's not possible for me. They're like cutting off every single option of it being possible. And so, of course, there's going to be an energetic block and things aren't going to be flowing. And so I really start with that desire. And I trust that, although it might not be sitting in the bank account this second, there is the money there available for me. And I can trust that and move forward and know that things will start to unfold with more ease as I continue to put in that action and that, that level of faith.
0: Tell me a little bit more about the desire that you're talking about. If there was somebody sitting right here, you know, one of our mm-hmm. students, they would probably say, oh, I absolutely have a desire to be the most successful version of myself. Yeah. I absolutely have that. But clearly they're not taking action towards it or some of them are not. Not mm-hmm. everybody's like that, but some people definitely struggle to be able to do what needs to be done. What does desire really mean? How do you express it? What is it that somebody that may be listening to this conversation saying, all right, it seems like you're talking about some of these big things. Yeah. What does it mean practically? What does desire mean? And how does it look like in life?
1: Yeah. So desire could be something as small as I want to wear this outfit today, or I want to go to this restaurant. And how often do we cut ourselves off and think, oh, it's Tuesday. I can't go to a restaurant tonight. Like I need to stay in or I don't have the money or whatever. And when you start practicing with desire and you just tune into what's calling you and you start to trust yourself, then you can trust yourself more with the bigger things. So I'll give you another tangible example. When I was back in 2008, I decided, not to go to grad school. And I was all set. I got into Northwestern. I was literally driving there. And I had this feeling in the pit of my stomach that that was not the right next step for me. So I turned the car around and went back to Ohio and we can dig into the story more. But I found out a few months later that my true desire was actually to move to London, England, which sounded completely crazy because no one in my family <laughs> had ever left Ohio and it was so random. But sometimes like those random things, you know that it's not coming from you. It's coming from the universe or whatever you believe in because it's so random. You couldn't even imagine it for yourself. You couldn't even predict it. But I, because I had practiced working with my desire, I started to trust myself more. And so I thought, okay, okay, well, this is weird but let me explore that. I'm just going to kind of like pull at that thread. So I'm going to research schools in England. Could I go to school in England? How could I get a visa? I started to see I could get a student visa or a spouse visa. I didn't have a husband at the time. So I thought, okay, I'll apply to grad school. So then I like moved on to the next step. Okay, so I've applied, I'm waiting. Then I heard I got in. Then I had to make the decision and so on and so forth. And so no one's saying that you need to like take the desire and make the entire full-blown thing happen right now. But if at least you start to explore it and start to develop that trust with yourself, then it'll become easier and easier to follow that and to figure out what the action actually is. And so I always say, if you have a desire, but you're not following it, like we really need to uncover what it is that's stopping you. Is it fear? Is it worry about what people will think? Is it not actually knowing the action steps? Which obviously there's an easy solution for that, you know, hire somebody, get on YouTube, all the things that we can do. But ultimately, you know, if you're not moving forward with the desire, you either don't want it enough or you haven't moved past all of those blocks and fears that are stopping you and getting in the way.
0: So what I'm hearing is that set out whatever that desire is, and it could be anything, don't worry about how big or small or whatever that is, pick a desire and then start taking some small action towards it. So you solidify that desire and you've taken some action towards it. So the desire becomes more real. Exactly. Am, Am I hearing this right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So should... Let's say somebody has a lot of desires, Mm -hmm. like I have a lot of desires, Mm -hmm. I have this desire, that desire, you know, desires that go full crazy, less crazy, whatever, right? Some things that can happen in a timeline, some things that are like, that's totally not in the timeline. Is that even a thing or I'm just bullshitting myself right now?
1: No, I think it's a thing. So another example, I've always wanted to own a house. But for the past eight years, that wasn't actually like a current desire. Because I actually loved being able to move from place to place. We didn't know where we wanted to settle. So it was like a future desire, but it wasn't something that was super important to me in the moment. And so I do think that there are things where you can slot them into another part of your timeline. Or maybe you know that you have a big picture desire. like to quantify things into like big picture, you know, one year, 90 day, you know, things like that put into categories. So maybe you have a big picture desire and you don't even know how it's going to happen yet, but you just have an inner knowing that it's possible for you and it's meant for you. Well, you don't need to figure out how to do that right this second. You can like keep it in your heart and you can trust it, but be working towards the things that are more current and present for you.
0: I love that. I want to explore that a little bit more. So what I'm hearing is you have a lot of desires, like mm-hmm. everybody yeah. like, has a lot of desires, but you actually break them down. Mm-hmm. You say, all right, I have this desire of, say, owning a house, yeah. but I also have a conflicting desire of being able to move easily. So my desire to owning the house is, say, and I'm arbitrarily putting it somewhere, but is a 10-year desire, but being able to move frequently so I can enjoy you know, the world in a way is next three years or next one year or whatever that is. And so what you're really doing, which I don't think anybody does, Hmm. everybody just goes, oh, I would like to have a supercar or whatever that is that people want, right? I would like to have all of this. And nobody really says, well, that's a long-term thing. This is a short-term. And right while you were saying it, like this conflict within the desire too, like owning a house, wanting to be flexible to move is, is conflicting somewhat. I mean, you can have many houses and then you can move multiple times, but... It's kind of conflicting if you're trying to get the first house. Is that somewhat...
1: Yeah. So for me, you know, I never thought about it being conflicting. I was like, okay, this is my current desire, but I know I'm going to desire stability in the near future, but I don't know where I want to live yet. So I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm going to, you know, write it down. I like to write things down, but I'm not going to worry about the how and, you know, what it's going to take to make it happen. And I think that's where a lot of people stress themselves out. Like they don't trust their desires. They make themselves wrong for it. I should want to do things in a certain way. And so why don't I, or my dreams are too big. That was mine for a long time, you know, like, why do I want so much? Wouldn't it be easy just to be the school teacher driving a Jetta like everyone else from my high school and, you know, living in the condo that sounds really judgmental. But at one point I was like, actually, it would be so much easier if I wanted less. Right. But then I shifted into, you know what, this is my truth. And I believe that desire is just a calling for you to live your fullest invitation of life. Right. Mm -hmm. So like we are all so capable of so much more than we give ourselves credit for. And that desire is all about who you become in the process. It's never about like the money or the thing. It's who did I become in order to get that? And so I believe that it really is a part of us and it's calling us to become our fully expressed self. And so just trusting that even if the desire feels massive right now, you can trust it and own it, but you don't need to work towards it this very second or have a specific plan.
0: Amazing. Can you break down that desire process to whatever? I I don't know if you've ever taught that. I'm just saying it because it's interesting to me and I think it would be interesting for everybody to listen on how you go, oh, this is how I am really thinking about it. I mean, you gave kind of some footnotes yeah. around it. Let's say if you were to guide me through, hey, I, mm-hmm. did I think you have a lot of desires. This is how I would do it. Okay. What would that process look like for you?
1: So, yeah, first of all, we would just do a brain dump. So think about everything that comes up for you on a regular basis around what it is you really want. So is it, uh, house in Chicago? Is it like more flexibility and time off? Is it a next level certification? Like we would start with business stuff, most likely, and then we would move into personal. So I would have you list out all of that and just do a brain dump. And then we would look at the different categories of desires. So is this a right now desire? Just, just yeah. The
0: brain dump is like, I sit down for 30 minutes and yeah. write down everything or yeah. do you want me to take days?
1: Some people are very connected to their desires. So it's, mm-hmm. it comes quick. Other people need to take more time. So I'm glad you asked. And another thing you can do is if your desires aren't coming to the forefront, you can actually look at who inspires you or even who makes you jealous. So we all know we're scrolling through Instagram or whatever, and we're getting these sort of triggers or people activating us. And maybe it's somebody taking a trip or whatever it may be, building a business, and you start to feel you know, that feeling of jealousy. That can also be showing you what it is that you actually want for your own life. So be the observer of what's coming up for you, whether it's the positive or the thing that's creating that jealousy. And if it's not easy for you to create this list, take as much time as you need and just start adding to it on a regular basis as you start to uncover certain things. So that's what I would do first. Okay, cool. So what category do you think you are?
0: I think I'm more managed there just because I think that's like you said, we yeah. start there. But I think if I have to think about desires, more probably physical health-related desires probably okay. are what what I'm more curious about. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you could even do like for people who have relationship desires, we could categorize them even more than just personal and business as well yeah. to get really granular. Yeah. Is there any categories that you have?
0: Like um, are preset categories or you just go free, free
1: flow? I go free flow, but I feel like this is also like a really personal process. And if you feel like categories would help you, or even if you want to do a desires list with your partner or, you know, someone in your life, that could be a really cool activity as well. Mm -hmm. So I would make the categories and then I would get clear around what are the top things that are most important to you right now. And just start to break it down into different time frames. And like I said, I like to look at, I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll do monthly desires, but I like to look at like 90 days and then a year and then five years and then anything beyond five years is normally, normally big picture because mm. I don't know necessarily where to slot it in. But for me, I just like to know that it's on the list. <laughs> Otherwise, it feels like it's too floaty and it's not, it doesn't feel like it's real. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people who have massive goals. It's almost easier to have bigger goals because they're so far off in the future. And it's almost like you convince yourself, I don't have to do anything towards that right now. And I know that I just said that a few minutes ago, but mm -hmm. at least if it's written down, that feels a bit more finite, at least for me. And then I can start to see like how the puzzle is fitting together. And every, you know, few months or however what you want to do this, maybe it's in every December, you can reevaluate this and shift things around.
0: Okay. So you decide, you do a brain dump, and then you categorize, you go long term. Is so that you think that's five years or over? Yeah. Rest, you compartmentalize as 90 days in a year? Is that, yeah. is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. cool. So now, question. Say I chose a 90-day desire and I didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you resolve that? <laughs> so, or how do you work through that?
1: First of all, I would say once you have your different time frames, ask yourself, like, is this actually possible for me? And I think the reason why people like working with me is because I do a lot of mindset work. I believe in energy and I love, you know, all the spiritual stuff. But there's also an element of like, I don't like to use the word realistic, but I'm going to use it here. There's an element of like, let's be realistic. If you want to build a million dollar business and you've never done that before, let's not put that in the 90 day time frame because that's probably not enough time. So I don't actually believe that people understand how to goal set most of the time. And so if you feel like you aren't reaching your goals on a regular basis or your desires, then take a look at like, did I actually not give myself enough time? Was I not prepared enough? Was I not committed enough? And just be the observer of the experience And then you'll have more information to go off of. And you can say, you know what, actually, in order to get stronger, gain muscle or whatever, it's going to take me more than just 30 days. So I want to add an additional 60 days to that and make that my 90-day goal. So I think it's just also being flexible with yourself and also realizing that things can happen much quicker than you expected. And I know that sounds like conflicting advice, but I'm just more open. I'm not attached to like everything being perfectly lined up because there are things that have happened much quicker for me and there's things that have taken longer, but in the end that was better for me. So there's Also, like, kind of infusing a level of trust in the process.
0: Yeah, I think I like that. I think we say it in our training as well, where we say, think of your goals as your compass. Mm -hmm. They're not the ship. The ship still has got to sail, and there's going to be ocean. They'll have Mm -hmm. circumstances. But till the time you've got the goals to point north or whatever that is, you're in the direction of that. And you're keeping yourself in that direction. So even if you don't meet a timeline, at least you're moving in the direction. And that's really the purpose. Yes. And I think that's kind of what you're saying. If it's 90 days, you're going to go towards it. It may even seem practical at the time when you're choosing it, but, you know, life. Yeah. And so it does not happen 90 days. Just get comfortable with saying maybe another 90 days and just, just be in the loop of it and the direction of it. Yeah. What I find, at least in my experience, is when desires and goals don't come through is people just lose motivation. Even if they kind of intellectually Mm -hmm. understand what we just said, that Mm -hmm. you're moving towards life, you know, you're going to get some, you're not going to get some. What is it that you, have you experienced that with your clients? And if yes... What are some of the things that you could suggest to somebody who may be like, you know what, I tried this really hard and, Mm. you know, it feels like I should get it, but I don't have it yet. Mm. I don't trust the universe now. Or maybe it's an extreme thing of not trusting the universe, but you get my drift. They're disheartened, they're heartbroken. What would you suggest for them to work through?
1: Yeah. So one of the fastest ways that I can get myself out of that place or support my clients is to look at other people who have been persistent towards their goals. So whether it's a celebrity or a coach or whoever, you know, we have so many stories around us of people where it's taken decades for them to do what they want to do, or they didn't even start their ideal career until they were 50 or 60. And so I just remind myself that there's not one time frame for this and that I don't have to actually worry because, you know, it's all relative. You know, some people will move faster, other people won't. And so you just have to decide for yourself, is this a moment to recommit to what I want because I truly do want it? Or am I going to go on the flip side and let go of it? Because that's a choice too. And I think sometimes people hold on to things and they because they like don't want to be called a quitter, but they're no longer aligned to it. And so I know that might be tricky for people to kind of decipher which it is. But there have been plenty of things where I thought I wanted it. And then I realized, you know what, actually, this isn't the thing. And this like not working or being so hard is actually showing me and helping me go in a different direction. So again, it comes back can be kind of confusing because it comes back to a level of trust and knowing yourself and knowing, is this me giving up too soon? Or is this the universe telling me, actually, I would like to reroute you in a different direction?
0: I agree with you a yeah. thousand percent. And and, and it's happened with me many times in life where I made a decision and then I was like, this is a dumb decision. I need to get out of it. And sometimes it's immediate and sometimes it takes a while. I don't really know how I make that decision. Mm -hmm. So I'm curiously asking you, is there a way that you have found on how to make that decision to have that knowing?
1: Yeah, I think it's relief. I think relief is like an undervalued emotion and... I tune into what I'm feeling when I envision continuing with something versus letting it go. And if I feel relief, you know, on either side, I know that that's my answer. And so it's like really trusting those emotions and that internal guidance system. And that's why, like, I think tuning into your desires and your intuition is so important because so many people have an intuition that's asleep. And so they don't know how to trust themselves and they just go around in circles. But for me, yeah, it's like, do I feel relief in stopping this or would it be relief to continue and make a plan and keep moving forward? I think another way to think about it, I think it was Marie Forleo said, does it feel expansive or does it feel like it's a contraction? And sometimes, of course, like going to the next level or persisting or just continuing to move forward, it feels challenging, but it still feels expansive. Whereas not moving forward would feel like restriction. For example, when I... I just invested with a coach recently to do a VIP day and it was like not something I'd planned. It was a little bit of a stretch for me, but I was thinking to myself, you know what? It feels so relieving to know that I would have this person's support and they could help me map out everything I want to do because up until this point, I haven't gotten it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I haven't gotten it right, but I know I can do it and I know that this is the next part of our brand. And so there's an element of me knowing and also tuning into like what would feel really good for me in this decision-making right now.
0: That's a great measure. Just relief. Feel yeah. it in your body, feel in mm-hmm. your soul. If it feels expansive, do it. If mm-hmm. it doesn't feel expansive or it feels contractive, yeah. like you said, maybe it's time to call it. Yeah. And that's absolutely okay. Yeah. I think there's this tremendous amount of comfort in knowing that you can say no, even if you've said oh, yeah. yes once.
1: Totally. I mean, yeah, I spent four years getting a psychology degree and I'm sure that I use that to a certain extent in coaching, (laughs) but I was talking to my dad the other day and just thinking like, what if I had persisted in going to grad school and spent another three years of my life getting the degree, not moved to London, you know, all those things that I did that were truly just trust walks. You know, I don't know if I would have met my husband because we met in London. I don't know if I would have started my business, like all the stuff. And so often people go to school and they think like, oh, I've sunk so many years into this and I have to keep moving forward. And there's just an element of they're not connected to their life and they're not living the way that they want to live just because they're afraid to say no and to stop.
0: And they're living in the past. Yeah. Because the past is what they've invested is what yeah. the sunk cost is so instead of mm-hmm. living in the present and in the future. I think it's the reason why gamblers keep losing money. I think it's mm-hmm. the sunk cost. analysis. They have a yeah. theory around it, but basically that's why people who should quit on the gambling table don't quit. Because they're thinking about the sunk cost, instead of thinking about how much they're going to lose more. (laughs) Yeah, if they keep doing what they're doing, they just start so attached to it. They're like, "Oh, I've already lost this much. I might as well."
1: Yeah, or like when you're you're waiting on a on hold on a call, and you're like, "I've already waited for thirty minutes. I need to keep going." Yeah, I want to
0: keep going, and instead (laughs) of saying, "I have waited for thirty minutes. I think it's time (laughs) we can we can call it a day now." So yeah, I think that's what happens to us. You're one of those people that I truly believe has understood money really well. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, you can set your intention to it and you can generate it. You teach people how to live in abundance. You have, of course, also your programs are done very abundantly, uh, like we were talking about. And and I see the reason why it's like, you know, it switches the narrative. And yeah. by the time they're walking through the door, they're 50% there. Because already they've accepted this big thing about themselves, which is amazing. What are some of the principles that you've learned over time that you think anybody that is an entrepreneur needs to hear today Mm. in context of getting comfortable with money, Mm. not even abundance overall as life abundance, but more like money, because I feel like money is one of those things that coaches and people interested in personal transformation listen to this, this podcast. And, and one of the big things that I consistently hear all those categories of people to say is their struggle with money or relationship with money. Mm. What have you found?
1: Yeah. So it's first identifying like, what are those money blocks that are coming up for you? And so for me, when I first started off as a coach, I'd never built a business, didn't know how to sell. I found myself getting on all these sales calls and just like people would tell me they wanted to work with me, but then the next breath they would say, well, I don't have the money. And that would be the end of the conversation. I didn't know how to dig deeper. And I wasn't taught that it was okay to even talk about money or to approach the subject with someone who was essentially a stranger. And so I just had a lot of fear around having that conversation. And so I started to work with my own coach and identify what my money blocks really were and what my money programming was. And so I really think that's the first place for people to start. A lot of people...
0: Can we, before you go into that, can you explain what is a money block?
1: Yeah. A lot of people don't know that they have a money block and they don't know that they have money stories. And it's essentially what you were taught to believe about money by your parents, by society, just what you grew up up with maybe different memories that you have when it comes to money, and all of that is basically programming like a computer programming that is your way of dealing with money, your relationship with money, how you think about it, how you interact with money. And for most people, you know, there is an element of scarcity around, it's hard to make money. It's not possible for me. Maybe you grew up with a family that didn't have a lot of money. And so you don't see yourself as being able to be wealthy. I know, you know, I grew up with entrepreneurs all around me. And so I had this belief that I could make a lot of money. And when I started my business, I wanted to make six figures and then I wanted to make seven figures and all the things. But my husband didn't grow up with an entrepreneurial family at all. And so him getting a raise and making 40 grand a year was like a massive thing. And even, you know, a few years ago, he was like, you know what? I never thought that I would be making this amount of money. It just wasn't even on my radar. And so he had to do a lot of work to even generate the belief that he could do it. And so that's where most people are when they start a business and you have to tune into like, okay, do I avoid talking to my clients about money? Do I avoid raising my prices? Am I worried about selling? Do I have this belief that if I'm helping people, I shouldn't be paid well, you know, Mm -hmm. all these things. So really just observing, just like you were writing down your desires, write down the stuff that comes up for you on a regular basis around money and start making a list of all the harmful thoughts that Mm -hmm. are holding you back from creating the reality you want.
0: And what, what does one do with those thoughts? Yeah. Once they were so, down?
1: yeah, once we identify them, then we work on shifting them. And for most people, like we need to take it step at a time. So, for me, when I realized I had this fear around talking about money, I started to just challenge myself on these sales calls to just ask people, you know, let's, let's look at your bank account or can I help you find the money? <laughs> you just told me you want to work with me. Let's look at how we can generate the money. And of course, it's a
0: really difficult question to ask. I must acknowledge you to be able to ask that. So thank you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, go on. Keep going. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I had this period of 54 people saying no to me on sales calls and I was like <laughs> on a call with my coach and I was like, this is not working. And then I realized I was basically just saying like, okay, no problem, you know, thank thanks for your time bye and that was the end of the call and so i realized it was actually my duty to have a conversation with them about money because they were telling me they wanted to change their life and if i was ending the conversation then i wasn't actually helping them they had more than enough people in their life you know who would adhere to the belief that it wasn't possible for them and would, you know, continue to say, oh, just play it safe. You don't need to do that. Like, just enjoy your life. And so I wanted to be the person that would challenge them in that and support them in getting the results they wanted. So yeah, one of the first questions I started with was, you know, how can we find the money? Let's, let's make a plan. And I actually had this little PDF of 20 ways that they could find the money. And so we would go through that live on the call and just say, you know, do you have uh, a family member where you could borrow the money? Do you have something you could sell? Do you have a credit card? Like all the things. And a lot of the time people actually had the money, maybe it was savings or 401k or whatever, and they weren't even allowing themselves to go there and think about using it. And that is programming. If we think we need to keep money in a savings account for a rainy day versus investing in a business, like that is programming and that's gonna hold you back <laughs> every day of the week. Right. And so having a different perspective on money was the thing that helped me support other people in doing the same, but I had to work on myself first. So getting over the fear of even talking about money. And when I started to see, okay, this is just a conversation, just like any other conversation. It doesn't need to have all this weight or this negative connotation around it. I could just talk to them about their finances that started to work and people started to sign up with me and things started to shift. Then even, um, one of my coaches talked to me about confidence with money. So a lot of people think when they work with me, I'm going to tell them to raise their prices. And I do ultimately, but I'd rather you feel confident about what you're selling first because there needs to be an energetic match. So at the time when I was going through all of these trainings, my coach told me to split my prices in half. I was only selling a 90-day package. It was $3,000 and she wanted me to sell it for $1,500. I was like, that's crazy. That's so cheap. <laughs> but I didn't have the confidence yet to sell the $3,000 package. So when I was getting on these calls with people, I was saying the price and energetically they were feeling that I wasn't confident in it. So when I lowered it, it shifted everything. And I was like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. I didn't have needy energy. You know, I was just putting it out there, take it or leave it. And so it was a different sort of vibe. I ended up selling 10 of those. And that was one of my first big months. And I was able to leave my nine to five job. And so, anyway, these are just my like personal examples of some of the things that I had to start to transform. So I think you just pick a couple and then you start to look at, okay, how can I start to shift that? Is it, working with a mentor on transforming this? Or is it raising my price a little bit? Or is it lowering my price? Is it just asking my clients, let's have a financial conversation. Let's talk about your bank account. Let's see how you can make the money, right? Cause so there's always something we can shift.
0: That's so true. And I love the money confidence. I've never said it in that way, but I think that's absolutely so very true for anything that we do. It's yeah. because if we don't believe that the number we are putting out there, the package we are part of, the program that we're putting out there, if we don't believe it works, yeah. it's not going to work. It's not going to actually get a yes. And if it does even get you a yes, it's probably going to end up in a refund or some sort of right. situation because you're just not in integrity with yourself. Yeah, And so you need to work up to a price. Mm-hmm. I remember when I started coaching first, my price was to work with me was $10,000 a year. And $10,000 a year was like huge. I was like, holy cow. And nobody's paying me that. And I was going to work with them for 40 weeks out of that. So every week, pretty much every 40, 45 weeks, something like that. Uh, But basically every week, except a few holiday weeks, it was just like, you know, we're going to be working. And that was it. I was like, yeah, it's like a lot of money. Until I met someone who, while I was sitting down and I I said that price to them, they said, what are you doing? And I thought, oh shit, this person's saying it because I'm charging too much. It was like, no, what are you doing? That's just way too cheap (laughs) to work with you or anyone for a whole year for 40 weeks. That's not even like, I think it wasn't even calculating to $200 an hour. I don't remember what the price, how much it was calculating, but it was just insane for what I was going to do. It was like, what are you doing? Like, that's not a pricing. You could do better. And so I was like, you know, oh, if the person's willing to play, I'll play. And I made it 15. And then they still said, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, all right, I'm going to do 20. And then they were like, what the hell are you doing? And at this point, I was like, this guy is just fucking with me. Like, there's there no way he's actually paying like right. more than twice. And he actually means this. This is just him pranking me, you know? And so I said 25. And he still said, what are you doing? But he said, I'll give you the check right now. But this is terrible what you have as pricing. And that's where <laughs> I learned it was all about me on how much mm. I could charge. It has very little to do with the person mm. because I had sold that price before. The person was like, all right, whatever. It's like, you know, it was an easy yes for them because it didn't. I was working with businesses always. It's, you know, businesses can ROI it. So it's easier to enroll in a business package for a higher price point. But that shifted. And I was like, okay, so it's all about me getting confident with whatever price I put next. And then I found ways how to find that confidence in myself by many different things. But I think that was so very important. And I think you gave a great word to it, which is money confidence. Mm -hmm. Do you have confidence in what you're about to project and say is your price? How did you find your Money conference. Apart from cutting the price to half, getting to thirteen hundred, getting ten clients, what was your way up? Because now you charge hundreds of thousand of dollars. I don't even know yeah, you yeah. price some really good amount of money for working with you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it really was just like splitting the price in half. And then when I saw that people would actually pay for that, then I got the skill set as well. And I started to learn more about coaching my clients. My skills improved. I got testimonials. There were more results. There were more people talking about me. And so my coaching was more in demand as well. And so I knew I couldn't take, at one point, I had 27 one on one clients at one time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is not sustainable. And so obviously, supply and in demand. I'm going to raise my prices. I want to work with less people. So I just kept following my desire and tuning in to again where my confidence was at. So I went from the 1,500 to the 3,000, then to 5,000, 7,500 then i did a big leap to 1500 or 15000 then 25000 and so on and so forth. and so i always tell my clients like there's no agenda here. you can raise your prices as quick or as slow as you want. like it's totally all about your vibe and what you want to create in your company. and i think that's where I'm a little less practical because I don't like to look at other people's price point unless it's, you know, inspiring me to go to the next level, because I think it's all relative. There are people charging a million dollars for a year of coaching. There are people charging 10,000. And so Mm -hmm. it's really important for you to look at like, where is my confidence level? Because that's the thing that's going to sell the package, not what the number is.
0: Yeah, and I also find it's not, your price doesn't determine if you're a better coach or not. No. It just simply means you have the money confidence to be able to say that's my price. Yeah. yeah. You probably can get the same quality of results, if not same, similar quality of results from two very different price points. Or at least that's my experience of it. One of the things that you said is everybody has money stories Mm -hmm. and they can identify their money stories. And what is the money story that you found when you have, apart from the money confidence that a person has in context of being able to Say that they want money for their services. Mm Then, otherwise, may feel like, oh, this is a service. I'm helping people. I shouldn't Mm. charge for it.
1: Well, I think that's where this is all kind of coming full circle. You go back to your desires. And what I realized was if I was charging $1,500 for 90 days, right? And I had a certain amount of time and that would not add up to me reaching my six-figure goal unless I was like working nonstop. So I think you have to get clear around what are your desires for your life. And that includes your financials. And really ask yourself, is this a business model that's going to get me to that goal? And so I like to map out, you know, all my different financial goals and then different scenarios of packages, you know, does offering we're offering retreats next year, does offering two retreats feel really aligned? Or do I want to offer four? How does that work with my budget? How does that get me to my financial goals? Does that feel good personally? And so just tuning in to what the desire is and does your price point align with that and what it is that you're selling? Because I think that also comes back to like realistic goal setting. Do you have the vehicle the business or the thing to reach that goal? Or do we need to redesign it? Do we need to up the price point? It's so crazy to me, but a lot of people aren't like crunching the numbers, so to speak. They're just like charging and not looking at what it's going to take to reach that financial goal. And then of course, it's not like a, a goal that's grounded in truth because you just pulled it out of thin air. And so I think we need the data and the emotion to go together.
0: That's amazing. So what I am hearing as you say that is that you start with the energetics, which is the desire, mm-hmm. then you get pragmatic and practical about it and say, let's make a plan or come yeah. up with some kind of run the numbers kind of a situation. And so we can make a plan to fulfill this desire. Yeah, And then the actions are kind of going to follow, again, energetically in the direction for that desire to be fulfilled. Would you say that's kind of the map that you're going for here?
1: Yeah, because I often find that a lot of people, it kind of like lights a fire under them and shifts their perspective on their price point when they see oh my gosh, I'm working 60 hours a week and I'm making $100 an hour. Like, that's not why I started my business. I could go get a job for that. Mm -hmm. And so it actually shifts something in them and they become more confident and more motivated to charge more. And it's like their desire overtakes their fear right? The fear before was, oh, I can't charge, no one's going to buy. Now they're like, oh, yes, you know, I want to have the six-figure business or seven-figure business. And so the desire becomes stronger and they let go of all the money stuff that's stopping them from raising their prices.
0: Do you think that is a very suggested path? Because what I've heard more often, more frequently from people is they need to get rid of their money blocks first. You're almost saying, yes, and you I actually want to focus on desire because there's a big outcome that you will chase. You have action that is in place. So your money blocks are going to go away naturally. Is that what you're saying? Am I hearing this right?
1: Yeah, I like how you phrase that. I think everyone's different. But for me, that was a big, that was my method is looking Mm -hmm. at my desires and what I want. And yes, along the journey, I had to remove some of my blocks and work on transforming them. Like I had post-it notes all around the house with like different phrases. I'm a money magnet. I'm wealthy, like all these things. Things, and we can talk about that. But ultimately, my desires were kind of like the guide for me. Mm-hmm. And when I saw, okay, well, to live in London, it's going to cost this much, like I would actually put a, a monetary amount next to all my desires. Mm-hmm. So then I could add it all up and see, okay, I have a purpose for this amount of money, because money likes a purpose, there's intentionality there. And so if my purpose for my life right now and this year is hundred grand and I'm charging like pennies and that's not adding up, then I'm not going to be very excited about my business for very long. I'm going to resent my clients. I'm not going to feel as motivated to keep moving forward. And that's going to be an energetic mismatch.
0: I love it. And it, it's also like, while it sounds different than what is a popular narrative, I almost feel like there is, and this isn't just me like kind of uh, brainstorming even while we're talking is to say, well, if we focus on what I don't want, don't want, don't want, don't want, well, it's going to be harder to let it go, yeah. right? Oh, I don't want this money mindset. Oh, I don't want to be in a scarcity mindset. Oh, I don't want to, yeah. you know, feel like uh, money is not available to me. And all the things that we've talked about and we talk about it often, frequently, and people say these as like, you know, these are drop notes at this point. You know, yeah. like you can talk to a coach and like, yeah, I have a scarcity mindset. That's why I'm not making money. But it's almost like we've justified. Why we would mm-hmm. not be able to be yeah, abundant yeah. because of these crutches, if I may call them that, yeah. which are known as money blocks and so forth, from the point of view of saying, Oh, we need to release these yep. to be able to get somewhere. We have these. This is real. I'm not saying this mm-hmm. is not real. What I'm saying is your process seems more interesting to me or different. And probably more effective because you're instead of working on what I don't want, you're working on what I do want, which is your desire. Yeah. And you're saying, I want my desire to come true. Here are numbers or gains, which I love that process as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, if I want this, I need to have this much amount of money. If I want this, I need this much yeah. of money. Let's total it up. What is the sum total that comes out to be? Oh, it's this big amount? Fine, but I know exactly why I want it. Now this is fulfilling my desire. Let's put an action plan in place. Yep. Let's move towards it. And the money blocks will find their own way around it or through it or whatever. That
1: yeah, so good. And yeah. like a, a really easy example if someone wants to implement this is if you have a ticket booked right now on a flight and it's not first class, look or go to the airport and ask, see how much it would cost to upgrade that to first class. Because so many people have this block around spending money on first class and they don't even look at the price point. They don't even know how much it is to upgrade. They don't even do the research. Like it's just this huge block. But once you actually sit in the seats (laughs) and at least for me, and you feel the spaciousness, especially if it's international travel, you're not going to want to go back and you're going to get attached to that desire and it's not even going to be a thing anymore. For you, you will have removed that block because you have the experience of it, and that's just a simple example. But you can start with something like that, and you'll learn to trust your desires, you'll learn to realize it's not actually that scary. And when you do shift it into an abundant mindset, like money is abundant, you don't like you don't even have to worry, you might not, not have it this second, like we talked about, but It's there and available for you. And so as long as you're connected to what it is that you want and you really do desire it and you focus on that, you'll make it happen but you got to have the awareness first. Like for us, we want to install a pool at some point in our backyard. And my husband was like, well, you know, we don't need to do that right now. And I said, I know we don't, but I want to know how much it's going to cost. Like I want to have all the information. I want to have the plan like mapped out. I want to know item by item what it's going to cost for us to, to make it happen because I love to know because then I can make a plan. And again, money has that purpose. If it's just like out there in the ether, it's just not grounded and it's less likely to happen.
0: True. One of the things that comes to me right now is when somebody would set out a desire, let's say that's a little outrageous, maybe some grounded in reality, but let's say it's not super grounded in reality because that's how a lot of our desires are, right? So if we set out that desire, do you feel that it would, or have you experienced that your client feel an emotional distress or stress in the moment, in the journey that they're trying to get to that desire? Yeah. Because it can take a toll on you if you're yeah, yeah. not getting there fast enough mm-hmm. or easily yeah, enough, yeah. let's say, it, or, or whatever you want to say. But mm-hmm. I feel like almost that would happen.
1: Mm-hmm. So this is something I didn't even expect to talk about this here because I'm still learning it for myself. There's actually a school of thought that desire is very low vibrational. And there's this author, he wrote this book called Happiness is Free, and his name is Lester Levinson. And he actually talks about desire, I'm paraphrasing, like being the root of all evil and all this stuff, because it's basically, you're telling yourself that I don't have this thing. And so it's basically a focus on lack, right? Because you don't have the thing yet. And so what I'm really tuning into for myself is how can I be aware of these desires and know that this is my truth And I truly do believe this that my desires are dropped in they're unique to me. there are things that I desire that you don't and you know vice versa. But how can I also practice non-attachment at the same time and recognize I don't need that thing to be happy and to be fully myself? Because the issue that we all, like you just described that we face is that when we're striving for these things and we're not getting it that is us, like, we're very aware that we we don't have it yet. And so that can create low vibrational energy and essentially lack. And so I want to get to the place where... I'm not attached. I know that it's going to happen. Like there's a trust there. Like you must know this. Like you have a trust around certain things happening. And so you're not even worried about it because it's just like, it's going to happen. It's an inner knowing. And that's what I want to get to around my desires and not be plagued by this feeling of, oh my God, it's not happening yet. What's going on? What am I doing wrong? And like a lack of trust essentially.
0: How do you stay non-attached? Is there a practice that you've found that would get you to, okay, this is my desire and I'm not attached for it to not come through?
1: It's almost like, I guess I'll describe it in a different way. It's, I know that regardless, I found happiness within myself. And so I don't need something else to make me happy. And so the focus is the joy. And ultimately, when you're focused on joy and that level of vibration, you're going to attract people and things in a much more rapid way than you would otherwise. And so it's almost like, There's just not any worry there around it happening and me creating what I want to create. And at the same time, like, like you have an amazing relationship with your wife, but you don't need her to feel complete. It's like a bonus because you've done the work on yourself. And that's not saying you don't want an incredible relationship. But if something were to happen to her, you would be upset, but like it wouldn't be the end of your life. Right. And so I feel like that's the place I'm working to get to. And so I can't tell you sitting here, I have a practice for non attachment, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it's something I've become aware of because I myself have found moments of, well, why hasn't this happened yet? And Mm -hmm. that's distressing. That's not a good place to be in. I want to be like, as joyful as possible, regardless of the stage or chapter of life and how things are, are happening and unfolding.
0: Yeah, and I feel like you do have a process for non-attachment, and okay. that is simply to <laughs> simply to be happy in the now, yeah, and yeah. so you're not attached to the outcome just because mm-hmm. you're already enjoying for what life is. So right. that is a way to stay unattached to any desire or any outcome in the future because yeah. you're not even thinking about the future once you have set it out in the universe to say that's what I would like. And now let's get present now because that's what it really is all about. Right. And then if this happens, great. If it doesn't happen or it happens on an extended period of timeline. It happens in an extended period of yeah. time. That's and maybe all there's right. something
1: better for me. Like, yeah. you
0: know? Something else will because my desires will evolve right. and change based yeah. on my experience of life if I'm enjoying life. Yeah. Which is to be happy in the moment, and joyous in the moment and really cherishing all of it. Is there a particular money mindset that you are fighting right now? or money block that you're fighting right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's that, like, what kind of... I'll give you another one. But this one that we were just talking about, it's like, how do I remain high achieving and, like, go towards my goals, but practice this non-attachment and, like, be really happy and present in the moment? Because I think there was and, and maybe still is a disconnect between that. You know, how do you want more but then like lean back. Like, isn't that making the universe think that I don't actually want it? But so that's what I'm working through at the moment, which is why I said I didn't think I had a process, but it's making more and more sense to me. But I remember reading this book. I was actually in Bora, Bora reading it and I flipped forward to the desire chapter because I wanted to hear what he said about it. And when I read like that desire was low vibration, I was like, no, you know, I live my whole life based on desire. And, mm. but then I started to see how I, pair the two teachings together and I can still live based on my desire and what my heart is calling me and understand that all these things on my list are the fullest expression of me. But then it's almost like you write it and then you burn it, Mm. right? Like Mm -hmm. you just release it and just trust. Because if I'm so attached and I'm like in this place of fear around when it's going to happen, that is very scarcity minded. Mm -hmm. And so actually the abundant way of thinking is just full trust and knowing that it's going to happen. Like I always knew I was going to meet somebody amazing and fall in love. It was just an inner knowing. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to like work that hard to it for it. And I have an an amazing relationship, but it was like this inner knowing. So what if we apply that to money and wealth and everything that we want to create and have an inner knowing that we are meant for abundance and actually Mm -hmm. we already are abundant. And so if we are that thing, then we're going to be magnetic to it even more. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm like really playing with. Um, I hope that makes sense.
0: No, it makes perfect sense. (laughs) I'm just curious, what was the highest vibration in that book?
1: Oh, good question. I think it's, um, is it joy? I'll have to look. I'll get back to you. Ah, But what I'm also playing with is like stair-stepping emotions. So like say Mm -hmm. you're feeling shame or worry or whatever, not trying to go like all the way up to joy, but like, can I just shift myself to gratitude, Mm -hmm. right? And just like going up, which has been really cool. And then I would say the other big block for me is like understanding how to get to the next level financially, but not working even harder because I have a tendency to overwork and I believe that I can make things easier for myself. So I've been tuning into like who are the people who have big memberships or like more evergreen products. And so how do I build a team so it's not more that's required of me? Because I think there is this money block for a lot of us around more success means I'm going to have to work harder. I'm going to have more things to do. I'm going to have to manage a team. It's going to be like a struggle. I'm never going to see my family. So a lot of people have um, a block around success because they're just worried about what it means.
0: Mm. What does success mean to you?
1: Now, I would say joy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Previously, it would have been a different answer for sure. Like it would have been like an amount of money in the bank. Mm -hmm. I would say joy and freedom, you know, just being able to have choice in terms of how I spend my time, the types of packages I sell, like what we do, because I think for so long, and this is even just very recent as of the last few years, I was doing things because I thought I should and because they were working, Mm -hmm. not because it was like fully aligned with the brand. And so part of me shifting even more into an abundance mindset is recognizing I can make money doing anything like that's actually not an issue. And so it's my duty to be in tune with like what my mission is and what fills me up and what brings me joy. And ultimately, you know, the money will flow from that.
0: Do you think women have a different money blueprint than men? Mm. Based on your experience, I I know you work a lot more with women from what I understand.
1: I don't believe that they have a different blueprint. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. I've never thought about it. We work with a lot of women, but we hear about their husbands blocks as well. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, that's why I'm yeah. curious to hear. Yeah, yeah. Because you have some real data on this.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like no. Yeah. No, no. It's it's more like I would say there's different there's certain countries that think about money differently. And I'll just speak to the UK because I'm I'm a British citizen and I lived there for a long time. I'm married to a Brit. A lot more people they don't want to talk about money. It's very taboo, even more so than in America. So like that sort of thing, they're still, at least in the coaching space, in my experience, not charging as much as people in the U.S. And so there's certain things that I see like that vary from country to country. Obviously, Americans have a lot of stuff as well. But even, you know, in the U.K., like with the war and different mindsets that were passed down from different generations around scarcity, not wasting, don't want too much, right? Like all that programming has been passed Passed down from generation to generation, but I don't think there's a difference in gender that I've seen.
0: Well, it was fantastic talking to you, Emily, today. It thank was you. super fun conversation yeah. around money and abundance, and I'm glad we were able to bring it to our audience because I know that this is very much needed. So thank you for taking the time and stepping away from your busy day. Join mm-hmm. us here at the podcast.
1: Thank you. It's been amazing.